If you take your Bibles, go to Psalm 78, and you can stand as you go there. Psalm 78. Psalm 78, and we're going to start in verse 1 and just read down through verse number 8. Psalm 78, verse number 1, the Bible says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which would be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the Lord's Day. Grateful for those that have taken the time and gathered here this morning. Lord, I pray that the time that we spend here uh, will be honoring to you, that the things that are said and heard will be point us to you and point us to your Son. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll just take all that is done here this morning and find glory and honor and and our view and our look towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as I was preparing this lesson or this message probably for the last few months, um, probably actually it probably goes years that I've kind of been thinking about this lesson and this message, and we'll we'll use uh, some visual aids here in a little bit for that. Um, But I've had this thought come up in my life many, many times and always have wanted to kind of work it into a sermon Um, And then here over the last five messages that we've had from this pulpit, um, consecutively the last five times, have only solidified, and it in a, it would say coincidence, an eerie way, other than God is supernatural and he works those ways that we think is weird and, and, and coincidental, but God just does them because he's God. But every message that has been preached from Brother Dakota and Brother Sammy and Brother Jeremy and our pastor and then Brother Mark, they all... I mean, they were saying words as they preached. I'm like, where did they get my notes from? Why why are they preaching what I'm going to preach? Why are they saying with different words, very similar to what I said? And so after Brother Mark preached Wednesday night, I was like, do I, is is this like a sign to not do this? Should I go a different direction? And I was like, that's not, I don't have enough time for that. So we stuck with it. Um, And I do believe the Lord really honestly is just reinforcing uh, what has been said from our pastor, from other men that have got up here and preached, and really it's, it's solidified, honestly, what I've, what I've felt like the Lord has wanted me to say. Um, and so we're going to go with it, and we're going to stick here. So we just read uh, passages of Scripture, and as we're going to read a few more verses, so hopefully you kept your Bibles open there, Psalm 78. Um, the people of Israel here are getting some history lessons about their, their forefathers, uh, about generations that came before them, and the Lord that is their Lord and how wonderful things he has done to, to tell their children, to make sure it's passed from generation to generation. And with looking at maybe some failures the people of Israel had had in their past to help the future generations not make those same mistakes. And for us as Bible-believing Christians, we can look at some things that Israel has gone through and probably find some pretty similar, close similarities in our own lives regarding our spiritual life and our daily walk with the Lord. Um, you know, our pastor's been talking about the church and church membership and being part of the local body, right, and how important that is. Um, and I think it's just reinforced here again and things that we can do to, to inhibit some of the things that the Lord wants to do with a local body, that the Lord wants to do with his church. I mean, we're not just supposed to come and, you know, it's not a social gathering time, right? This isn't a party. This isn't a let's just hang out and, and get to know each other and then go home and live our own lives. We're supposed to affect the world around us by the things that are in God's word. And that's up to us as human beings to take those things to the world around us and, and change it, not because of us, but because of the Lord. So the problem is here, though, that the people of Israel had some very bad habits. Uh, they, a flaw 
that caused suffering in their life and prevented them from really living the life that God wanted for them. It prevented an entire group of people from not even being able to go where the Lord had been leading that entire nation. They weren't able to make it into the promised land because of this flaw and this bad habit that they had. And this flaw, bad habit that they had thousands of years ago, we still have as Christians today. This church, New Testament age church, we have this flaw in our life as well. And it's a couple things. It's unbelief and ingratitude. And you look at, at, at us as Christians like, well, I believe. I believe in the Lord. I believe I'm here in church. Obviously, I believe. But we don't live our life with belief often. We live our life with unbelief. And I think we'll look at a few ways that that could be. So let's look through, follow me here through Psalm 78 and some areas that Israel didn't believe or they weren't grateful. Uh, go down to verse number 10. The Bible says, They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. They, they refused to walk in his law. It's just flat out, can you imagine? They refused to obey God. Who would refuse to obey God? Don't look in the mirror because you, you'll find another person that refused to obey God. Drop down to verse number 17. The Bible says, And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking for meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? I mean, they sinned more. They continued to sin. They provoked. And that word provoked means, it means rebel. They rebelled against the high one. I mean, the words are used intentionally. The high one, the, the, the holy one. They rebelled against him. They spake against him. They, had, they didn't have belief that he could take care of them even in the wilderness. Go down to verse number 22. It says, because they believed not in God. Now, hold on. These are God's people. He saved them from Egypt. He brought them out. They part of the Red Sea. He did so many wonderful miracles. And the Bible says, because they believed not in God, and trusted not in his salvation. Drop down to verse number 32. It says, For all this they sin still, and believe not for his, uh, believe not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity, and their years in trouble. When he slew them, they sought him. Okay, they got in trouble. Now they turned back, and they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God of their Redeemer. Nevertheless... They did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. They were just sad they got caught. They were just sad that their life was miserable because they got in trouble. So they made a, a view and a look like they were repenting. But really, they were just upset by their circumstances, not what they actually had done. Now the two verses that we're going to focus on this morning are verses 40, and four, or 40 through 42, which is three verses actually if you count. Verse number 40 says, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness? And so they didn't even, he didn't even number. He didn't say like these four times or these seven times. It was just so much that he has to say, how oft did they provoke him? And again, that means rebel in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert. Yea, they turned back and tempted God. And here's the part we really want to focus on and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. Now lastly, drop down to verse number 56. Verse 56 says, Yet they tempted and provoked the most high God and kept not his testimonies, but turned their back, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. So, I mean, a lot of examples in this one chapter, and this is a history of what Israel had been through and done, and it was a warning to the future generations to don't do this. Understand, and, and throughout, if we read other verses, you would see all the good things that God did for them, all the wondrous works, as one of the verses said, that God had shown them and done for them and provided for them and, and taken care of them, and in spite of all these things that God had done that only God could do, they still rebelled, they still sinned, they still thumbed their nose at the high one. They, I mean, they visually saw God do things that we've never seen. We have faith and believe that what is said in the Bible is what happened, but you've, we've never seen manna fall from the sky. 
We've never been brought quails to feed us. We've never seen bodies of water parted to walk over. We've never seen a pillar of cloud to lead us or a pillar of fire to lead us by night. We've never seen those things. These people saw those things and they still rebelled. And it, the Bible says grieved the Lord. And that word grieved there, it's, it's, a, it's the thought of, it's like scraping, scraping up, scraping up something that, you know, that noise that it's kind of like nails on a chalkboard that goes up your spine. That's, that, that's the idea of grieved. It's just a scraping away. And it's God, and I don't think God in this moment, I mean, he is upset and he's, he's angry because of who he is. But in this moment, that word grieved is, is more like disappointment. It's sadness because of all the things that God had done for them and showed them and they still provoked and rebelled and sinned. And it's just, it's like a, and God is not human so he doesn't get sad in that way. But it's like if you're a parent and you have a child that is just not getting it, not doing what he's supposed to do or he or she's supposed to do and making a mistake over and over and over. You get past the point of frustration and anger. You just go, and I think that's where God was. He's, I, what else can I do to get you to be on board with me? What, have I have, what else do I have to show you? And it grieved him. So thinking for us in this day and age, you look at all these things that the Israelites had in their life that caused them to, to provoke him and to sin. And, and the things that they cared about were selfish things, their pride, the things that they wanted. They wanted meat. They wanted to be taken care of. They'd rather go back to Egypt and live in the wilderness. They were afraid of what God had for them, so they didn't believe he could take care of them. And you look at your life and see what are the things in your life that you, where you find unbelief in who God is or, or ingratitude in the things that he has done for us. What do we allow it to be part of our lives that limits the Holy One from fully being to, to, being, words, to being able to operate in the way that he wants to. What is it in your life? And, and I'm going to ask you today to be very self-reflective, very specific with yourself, very honest with yourself. What is, it, what is it in your life as a Christian that is preventing God, that is limiting him from using you or from blessing you in a way that he wants to? Not because he, because we deserve it, but because it gives him glory. And that's why God does things that he does. God does things the way he does them to give glory to himself because he's the only one that deserves it. He deserves all the glory, all the honor, and more that we can give him. So when he blesses us and uses us, it's not for us to pat ourselves on the back and say, look at how I've been used today. No, it's for us to say, look at how God has used somebody that's not worth being used. This is only happening because of him. So what is it that's in our life that's preventing it from happening? So I mentioned the last five sermons, and I have... I have cliff notes for all the sermons. So you could have just preached this and been done in like two seconds. No, not really. But it goes back. Brother Sammy preached first. This was a couple Wednesdays ago. And he talked about in the song they sang about Isaac, about Abraham offering Isaac. Abraham was willing to trust God with the thing that he loved most. Right? Abraham had his only son, and God said, sacrifice your son to me. Now God says, I promised you that I'm going to make a people of you that number more than the sands of the sea. But the only son you have in your hundreds, I want you to kill him. That doesn't logically make sense. But Abraham trusted that God is who he said he was. And that God, when God makes promises, he fulfills them. And he was willing to believe God to enough to sacrifice his own son. So when Brother Sammy's preaching, I'm like, man, that's really up the alley of what I'm talking about. That was really good. And then Brother Dakota comes up right after that. And he talks about living our life that in a way that we invest in eternity, that we live our life on this earth and we sacrifice and give up some of the things that maybe bring us temporary pleasure, temporary joy, and instead of taking those things, we, we focus more on things that God focuses on. Souls, eternal things, our children, raising our family, and, and investing not in the world of today to make a bigger bank account or a bigger house or nicer cars, but investing in something that when all this burns up and Spoiler alert, this earth and the house you live in and everything that's on this earth is going to burn with fire. It's going to be gone. But your soul will live somewhere forever. And when we believe in what the Lord said he has done and we invest in things that last for there, we, we're stockpiling investments for a place we've never been, for a place we've never seen, but will bring more returns than anything you can visually touch or see here on this earth. And so when Brother Dakota preached that, I was like, man, that's, 
man, like things, that's important. That's vital. That's, we, we, it's not something to brush off. Letting, that means we have, maybe have to let go of some things that uh, keep us too grounded to this time and to this earth. Things that aren't eternal but we like and we're so attached to them and focused on them that it, it, it prevents us from having an eternal view. And we may have to let go of some of those things and, and you might enjoy them. And it may not even be sin, but just something that distracts you from etern- eternal life, from the eternal time, but we're too grounded in it here. And then Pastor Jet comes and he talks on Sunday morning about having influences in our life, about how we he had the tug of war up here. Remember all those guys held hands? I mean, they were playing tug of war. They were not holding hands. They were playing tug of war. Ashton's hands was so sweaty, I heard later. It was, it was like he dipped his hand in this water and then grabbed it to play. It's hard to win a tug of war when it's that way. Just kidding, Ashton. You know, and he's like, no, it's true. Um, but how we have influences in our lives that pull us pull us from one direction or another. And that's why having a church and being a part of a church, not just coming and sitting and being here and enjoying it, but being involved and integrated, weaved into the church, the membership of Eastside Baptist Church, that has influence and pulls you in one direction. But if you cut out those things, the things of the world pull you in another direction. And you realize how people say church isn't a necessity. It's just, it's old-fashioned. The concept of church is for old folks and for little kids to keep them busy, but the real people, that church is not necessary. And that's a, that's a lie that the devil has told humanity in order to pull them away from the things of the Lord, to pull us away, and we're easily pulled, so easily dissuaded from things of God. It doesn't take much. But that's a lie that the devil has told us to pull us away. And realizing maybe you have to give up some things that are pulling you the wrong direction, that are preventing God from using you and thereby using this church to do things for his glory. And the brother Jeremy gets up on Sunday night, and he talks again about influencing, about the church, how the church is being more influenced and affected by the world than the church is influencing and affecting the world around it. Because we've got things in our lives, God's children are being unwilling to deal with areas in their life that they've compromised, that they've given a little here, given a little there. It's not that bad, it's not not that terrible, it won't affect me, and giving ground in areas of their life that compromise their ability to influence the world and, and limit God's ability to use us within the church to do things for his glory. So you see, from my perspective, as I'm hearing the sermons, I'm like, these guys. And then Brother Mark comes up and he talks about dangers of the shadow. And I'm like, well, that's, that should be like a book title or something, you know, dangers of the shadow. And he talks about how Christians are willing to live in the shadow we're, we, we, are, we are fully willing to step out of God's light, pure light, and live in the shadow of our sin, live in the shadow of our, our pride, live in the shadow of our selfishness, and have things in our life that cause us to miss out on God's unfiltered sunlight. That we step into that shadow and we're willing to live there and willing to be not fully used the way God intends because of the things that are in our life, the things that are, that are, are, are preventing us from being all that God really wants us to be. And again, it can be sin like the children of Israel. It could be things that we just have the wrong focus on and wrong attention and we put way too much emphasis on the things that are, that are stuck to this earth that don't matter for eternity. And so to me, as I listen to all these things, I mean, I wrote so many notes because I'm, I'm going to use their sermons and now we're done. So I'm just, we're just, I just re-preach, re-preach five sermons and we're finished. Um, no, this is a Baptist church. We'll keep going. Um, but to me, all these, all these sermons drove home a point that us as Christians have the same flaws that Israel had. The same sin that plague, has plagued humanity for thousands of years, even as good Christians in church on a Sunday morning in the middle of July, where there's so many other things we could be doing, we good, quote-unquote, Christian people have things in our lives that God does not want there. And you know what they are. I mean, when we, if you honest, again, if you're honest with yourself and you're specific with yourself, you know what they are. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to give examples or lists. You already know what those things are. And God, the Holy Spirit, will tell you what those things are. And again, it's not general all around sin as a big concept. It's a very specific, right on the money, hit the nail on the head type thing or things, attitude, thought process, 
sin, whatever it is that's in your life right now that's preventing God from being able to use you to, for his glory the way he wants to. And the problem is when, when God's people allow those things to live in their life and are, are willing to live in the shadow, willing to compromise ground, and not even just willing to allow it, but like nurture it. Like we got those things that we, they're, they're not good for us. They're, they're not best for us. But we like them so much that we, I mean, if, if it could be, I'm not a cat person, but if I had a cat, I would just sit here and I would just pet it. And it would purr. And that's the thing that God's saying, this is preventing you from me using you. And you're like, but I like it. And it's mine. And I don't want to give it up. If I gave it up, if I gave you this cat, Lord, this sin, this thing in my life, if I gave it to you, that means I would have to change. That means I'd have to be different. And we sometimes have a problem with that. Not sometimes, always. No one likes change. And we don't like to give up things that we enjoy. But God says to Israel, they provoked him. They rebelled. God says, this is sin. They said, we don't care. We're going to do it anyway. And when we hold on to those things and live in that shadow and, and kind of make home and camp in that shadow, we limit God. We limit the Holy One. So <clears throat> this goes back to what I said. I've been thinking about this sermon for years or this idea. I want to put that first picture up there for me, guys. I have three pictures, and it's going to make you hungry. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe. Uh, so I work at a restaurant, and I'm the best fry scooper guy there is, okay? Let's have a fry scoop off. You and me, I will win every time. doesn't matter who it is. We're going to win. But I would scoop fries often. If you ever worked in a restaurant before, a fast food restaurant, this is frustrating because you're going to scoop fries, and look what, looks what's happening. I drew a nice red circle with a bunch of arrows so you can see what I'm focusing on. That fry is out of, out of whack, Right, it's sideways, and it's preventing all those other fries above it from getting into the bag that's supposed to go to the customer. And so what that does is that slows me down from scooping fries at an at a inhuman rate right, to, to serve those that are around. It slows me down, and I don't like that. And so what happens, you end up shaking it, you end up, or shaking it to get it out of there, you pull it out, or you just break it. Right? That fry breaks in half and allows the rest of them to get in. But it's, it's a frustrating thing, and I, I've worked many days and had this happen, and the Holy Spirit's like, got anything in your life that's like this French fry? I was like, okay, I'm working. It's a little inconvenient time right now, Lord, um, but maybe. And so I got one more, one more picture. Here you go, the next one. So again, this is a bigger fry bag, and look at all the things that are in the way. I mean, there's multiple French fries that are preventing the majority of them getting in the bag. Now, there's still fries in the bag. There's still blessings, little French golden fried blessings in the bag, that are going to go right to your arteries, like they're there, and I'm not saying stop eating them, they're, it's, please keep eating them. Um, maybe just go for a walk or something, I don't know. Um, but all these french fries are preventing the, mo the majority of those things from getting into the bag where they're supposed to be, where I, the french fry scooper, want them to be. I want them to be in the bag, but these things are getting in the way. Now the next photo is what it's supposed to look like. They're all supposed to line up, they're all supposed to fall in, and I drew arrows again to, to help you see. They're supposed to fall in perfectly into the bag and slide in. And that way, I'm quicker. Things get done the way they are. People get what they pay for. They enjoy the fried golden goodness of potatoes. And that's what the goal is here, to have them all lined up, nothing to be obstructing the fries from getting where they're supposed to be. You could take that down. So when I think of, and it's, that's how my brain works sometimes, right? The French fries mean sin in my life and the things in my life that limit God from being able to use me the way maybe he wants to, maybe even a, in a bigger way than I fully understand or think that I'm capable of, maybe in a way that I don't want to do because I'm uncomfortable with whatever the case may be. But God says, you've got these things that are obstructing, obstructing God's ability that limits the Holy One of Israel's ability to fully be what you are supposed to be. And we could be, in our life, we could be like, oh, okay, fine, I don't care. I like my sin. I like my sideways french fries. And I'm satisfied with just the few that maybe fall in, and I'm okay if I don't get the full effect of what God wants me to do. I just want to be, I, don't, I want to be left alone. I don't want expectations on me. I don't want the responsibilities on me that maybe God would bring my way if I decide to live for him in the way that he wants me to. And the problem with that thought process is it's, you, you live a life that's so limited, and sometimes you wonder, why, why am I not fulfilled? 
Why am I not happy just in this life here today? Why, why do I keep smacking my head against walls every time I want to do something? Some obstruction comes up here, here, here. And I'm not going to say that if you take rid of all those things and you live with all the arrows pointing in that you'll never run into obstructions. We live in a sin-cursed world where bad things happen. Bad things happen, bad situations come up. But the thing is, is if you've got God, if you've got those things out of your life and God can use you and bless you in the way that he wants to, even when things aren't great, your life is still full. Even when things come up that aren't what you want, your life is still filled because God can use you and bless you in a way that you can't get anywhere else. But we like those sins so much. We like those things so much or we just get so used to them. They become habit and we don't think about the need to get rid of them. And God doesn't say, well, just move it to the side a little bit, but keep it there. God says, get rid of it. Remove it from where you're at. Remove it from your life. Don't hang on to it over here and bring it back when you want it again. Get rid of it completely. And when we looked at verse number 41 here in Psalm 78, they turned back and tempted God. So they even, they repented, they tried to get the right thing, but then they went right back to the same problem and they limited him. And the, the word here, limited, is teva. It's the only time this word is used in the entire Bible. It's never used ever again. And the word, the word means scraping to pieces. It's similar to the word grieve we talked about there in verse 40, but it means scraping to pieces. That is what the word there, limited the Holy One. It means it's, it's I mean, it just, it's destruction. It's not, not what it's supposed to be. It's scraping it to pieces. Again, like a father saddened by continual disobedience from his children, they limited the Holy One. No one else has that name. The Holy One of Israel. They limited him to their way. He, they limited him to their time. They limited him to what methods he should use in leading and providing for them even. Their sin, their pro- provocation, their, their rebellion of the Lord limited the Holy One, the Creator, the Savior of all humanity, limited him to what they wanted, what their way was. They didn't even think about the possibilities of what God might want or what God could do. But rather, this is what I want. These are the things in my life that are going to stay there. Now God is, is forced to live in this box because of the sin that is in our life. And he's not free to be able to use us the way he wants to use us. Not because God is incapable, but because we've placed limits on him. Our sin has not allowed him to use us because he can't even with your sin. He can't. To use phrases that we use. I can't even. God can't even with your sin. It's, it's a non-negotiable issue in our life. And the problem is, too many of us Christians, we don't want to negotiate. We want to keep it. We aren't going to negotiate. We keep it in our life. And that, that's a problem for us. And that's a problem for us, even if we don't think we want to be used by God. If we have the attitude of, I don't care if God uses me. I have no desire to be used or blessed even of God. And your thinking is we have a deeper problem in that area because your thinking is so askew from, from happiness, from peace, from joy, you don't even know. But just assume that you don't care what God wants and you don't have that, that desire. And the problem with that for us is as the Holy One, as God, he must and will do what is best for his glory, thereby what is best for you. God doesn't care if you don't want his involvement in your life, right? God wants to be involved in your life. God, want, God died. God sent his own son that died to pay for your sin so you don't have to. He cares. He cares way more than the one that loves him the most in here. God loves you more than that. God loves you more than you love your kids. God loves you more than you love your spouse. God loves you more than you love your little doggy at home. God loves you 10 billion trillion times more than that. And so he cares if you care or not. And for us as Christians that live in this, this, come to this church and we live in the shadows in those areas, we compromise areas in our life, we're not willing to sacrifice those things that matter to us, we don't invest in eternity. The problem is, is that God is God and because he is God, he will do what is best for his glory all the time. And when he does what's best for his glory, that means he does what is best for our good. And sometimes our good is to be tried. Sometimes our good is for that sin to be kicked in our teeth. 
Sometimes for our good, God has to break you because you're unwilling to give up those things. Now, God is long-suffering. God has so much mercy. God is gracious to us, but eventually the problem comes where God does not deal with your sin. He will not put up with it. He will not pretend it doesn't exist. And not, not because he's mad, not because he's angry, but because he's grieved by that sin. He wants to do so much more for you if we'll allow him to do that. So now that my introduction is done, we're going to get to the actual sermon. I'm not kidding, but it's going to be okay. So how do we limit and grieve him? Okay, simply, simple, unbelief and ingratitude. We limit him, we grieve him by our unbelief and ingratitude. So unbelief via disobedience. If you go back to verse number 10, it says they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his way. The fundamental condition of God blessing and using his people is obedience. When you don't do what God's word says to do, there's no real explanation or excuse other than you're just disobeying. So to take it back for an example, um, you know, I teach the couples class. We've been going through a love and respect in there. Husbands, when you don't love your wife the way she needs to be loved, you're just disobedient. It has nothing to do with how your dad loved your mom. It has nothing to do with your great-great-great-grandpa and he didn't care. It has nothing to do with your upbringing. It has nothing to do with your emotions or lack thereof. If you don't love your wife, like God says, love your wife like I love the church, you're disobedient. Period. Wives, if you don't respect and submit to your husband because he doesn't deserve it, he's not worth it, I'm whatever excuse you want to give in there, it has nothing to do with that. It's, it's just, you're disobedient. God says it. When we don't do it, it's disobedience. And when we disobey, it's because we don't really believe what God says to do that is true. We don't. I mean, we know it, and we would never say that. But our actions, right? What is John 14, 15? If you love me, keep my commandments. I mean, that's a sentence. It's a sentence. It's a statement. It's a command gladly and unquestioningly doing what God says. Now here's the problem. We're humans and we're going to fail. And you're going to sin and you're going to disobey and you're going to make mistakes. And you're not going to follow God every single time. But when your heart is in the place where you want to do what he wants for you and you want those obstructions out of your life, when you sin, when you make mistakes, your heart is so tender, you know God shows you and you, and you change. You ask forgiveness, you, you try not to repeat it again. It's not a point where you get to where you never sin now because that's never going to happen while you're breathing air. You will, you will sin for all forever while you're breathing air on this earth. That never goes away until eternity. So when you make mistakes, a heart that says, I want to follow you, I love you, and I want to keep your commandments, when those obstructions come up, you see them and you remove them. You don't say, I catch that, I'll keep this one. Though That's not part of your thought process. You want to remove that. So we have unbelief via disobedience. We have ingratitude via forgetfulness. Verse number 11, it says, and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. So he did all these amazing things and they forgot about it. So they have ingratitude. So what has God done in your life? What you live, even if God has done nothing, you say, my life is terrible. My, my relationships are a mess. I, my financial life is a mess. My health is a mess. There's nothing good that I can look at my life and say, this is a good thing that God has done for me false. You live in America, which I'm pretty sure is the freest country on this earth. You were born in this time, right? You were born in the freest time in the history of the world. You're born in the freest country in the history of the world. When we forget the good, we become ungrateful complainers. And if you just looked at the, the life you live in, the, the fact that you have nice clothes, air-conditioned building, even if you walked to church this morning, and not because you're the stewards and just live down the road, but because you had no vehicle. You still are so blessed. We are, so, we are, we are spoiled beyond reason. Listen to the Ruckmans. Do you see some of the videos of the village they went and visited this week? Is your house any better than that? Absolutely. Do you have nicer clothes than those people had? Were you able to get to work in a way that you weren't driving through a deluge and, and roads that were falling apart where your life was literally in danger to go to work? We are blessed. We are so blessed, but we are so ungrateful. We are such big complainers. We get so upset over the smallest little, they put the wrong creamer in my coffee. I'm never going there again. One-star review. 
<laughs> like, what? The, the Christians, people that love the Lord. That's how we react when things don't go our way. I waited 30 extra seconds for this food. One star. Bad review. Like, we're so quick to complain, so quick to, to be upset by what we don't have. Ingratitude from forgetfulness. Our forgetfulness of what God has done for us and is doing for us limits his ability to use us. Limits his ability to bless us. Another unbelief via doubt. Verse number 32. For all this they sinned and believed not his wonderful works. They saw all these things that he did and they still doubted that God was able to do. Can you imagine parting of the... Can you just imagine the... I don't know, go to Lake Michigan... And God parting it and be able to walk from Illinois to Michigan without going on the ground. Just walking right through. They saw something similar to that and they still didn't believe God could do what he said he would do. They still didn't believe he could take care of them. Can you imagine? And we're like, I could never. What unbelieving complainers those Israelites were. Yeah, okay. But we can't tithe because we, we need that money to pay our bills. Or we can't tell other people about Jesus because what if they say no to us? What if they close the door in our face. <sighs> Scary. I cannot trust God. God cannot work through me because I'm too timid and too scared to do what God has told me to do. We limit him because we do not believe. Mark 13, uh, verses 15 through, or 57 and 58 say, and they were offended in him, talking about Jesus. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. They did not believe, they did not believe Jesus who was who he said he was. They did not believe that he could do what he said he could do, and so he didn't, because they didn't believe him. Do we ever not believe that God could do things, and so he just doesn't do them, because we don't believe he could. We have doubt that he could use me to do something, that he could use this church to change Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls is big. We're not that big. So we don't believe that God could use us as members of this church to fill this building, not because, look at us, Eastside Baptist Church, but to introduce people to Jesus and to change their lives, to give them some hope and something to live for. This city, the bigger this city gets, the more sin comes. Any city that gets big, in any small city, sin exists. The more people that come, the more sin there is. So are we not, do we not serve a God that is big enough that can affect that and change that? Of course we do. But we limit his ability to do those things because we're doubtful and we don't believe. We, and we even doubt the sin that we harbor could possibly be or become a reason that the Lord is unable to use Eastside Baptist Church, that the Lord is unable to do mighty works. But spoiler alert, the sin you're harboring, it, it is. It is a limit. So maybe it's a sin you like and you have the selfish sin, but it's not just about you. As being part of Eastside Baptist Church, we are all members of the same body. We need a nose. We need an ear. We need a foot. We need all parts to come together to do what God has for us to do. That's what pastors has been preaching on Sunday mornings for weeks. So if you're harboring something, if your toe is gangrene, but you're not willing to deal with it, if you got a broken finger, but you just ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist, and I just, I got to have this, and you don't deal with it, it, the finger affects the hand, which will affect your arm, which will affect your whole body. So when you live with sin, if when you live in that gray area, when you compromise and concede areas in your life to the world and you let the world influence you more than you influence it, you affect not just you, you affect your family, you affect this church, you affect this city because of your selfishness, because of my selfishness. I'm, this, I'm not just saying you, it's, it's me. Because of our selfishness, we limit God being able to use us. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to this church. I don't want to do that to my family. I don't want to do that to me individually. And that's why I say it has to be a very specific, honest look at your life and where those areas are. Next, unbelief via insincerity, verses 36 and 37. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and lied to, unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. It doesn't matter to quote a famous preacher from Wednesday. It doesn't matter what you say you do. It only matters what you do. It doesn't matter what you say you do. You're here in church. Good. It's where God wants you to be. 
But if you're just here to say, I look at me, I'm a good Christian, I'm at church, and then you go home and it, you live completely opposite of what God's word says, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say you do. It only matters what you actually do. Giving God lip service causes limitation. Pretending to be something you're not causes limitations. Don't pretend. Strive to be. Strive to be what God wants for you. Don't pretend that, I mean, it's like double the work. It's double the work to pretend to be something you're not so other people think that you are that, but then go over here and be that other, a different person instead. It's exhausting because you have to pretend every time you're around other people. And you might even pretend to yourself. We lie to ourselves a lot. We have that inner monologue. I've heard there are some people that don't have inner monologue. Do you believe that? I read that as like some, there's so many percentage of human beings that don't have, don't think to themselves in their head. Like they have no conversation in their head. I've never met one of those. If you're one of those, come talk to me because that's fascinating. But they say there are people that have no, those that have inner monologue, we, we justify our life. We justify the dessert we had two helpings of. Because, well, I didn't eat as much breakfast today, so I could do extra here. Right? Where you know, no, that's bad. That's, that's bad for me. Well, I didn't exercise today because, well, I mean, I did more yesterday. Or whatever our sins are, whatever our, our failings, our shortcomings are, we justify them with other, either comparisons to other people that don't do it as much as us, or comparisons to other things in our life that make us feel better about our shortcomings. Right? We, we justify things in, and we're not sincere. So if I'm pretending to be this good Christian, I have a suit, I have a tie, my shoes match, I even wore a, a belt that matches my shoes, I look like I know what I'm doing, but I don't. That's exhausting to have this front all the time and pretend. So I come to, God, come to church and be like, yay, man, I say amen in church. I sing really loud. I might be even a choir. I might usher. Maybe I help in a Sunday school class. But then tomorrow, tomorrow I don't read my Bible. Tomorrow I don't talk to God one time. Tomorrow I turn the radio on in my car and it's music that does not match what God, what we hear here. Tomorrow I have language that I use with people that don't know me from this church so I can be more me. And so I have different kind of colorful language that I use. And it doesn't match with what's here. And if pastor came to where I was or sat in the car with me as I drove somewhere, would you be different than you will be tomorrow? Then you're, you're pretending, you're insincere, you're pretending to be something you're not. If pastor couldn't be with you all day long, and, it would, and it, if pastor was with you all day tomorrow, and it changes your day, changes who you are and how you interact, even what you wear, what you listen to, you might need to take a look at yourself. You might need to take a look at what you are pretending to be. Are you flattering God with your mouth? Right? Is your heart right with him? It says they flattered him with their mouth, but they lied to them. But they lied to him with their tongues. If your life does not match up all the time, and we all have that. We're all hypocrites. We all pretend. We all put on a good face. I don't wear a tie all the time. I hate wearing ties. I had to wear a tie in Bible college. I got tired of it. It's, I mean, no man came up with this. A woman invented a tie to strangle men. That's, I don't really believe that. Don't hurt me. I'm kidding. But I hate wearing ties. I don't wear ties all the time, right? We're hypocritical in our lives. We do things, we say things, and we act a different way. I mean, I catch myself doing that often, where I have these, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, this is how I am, and then I just fail. That doesn't mean that we're, we shouldn't try to live the way God wants us to live, that we shouldn't try to take those hypocrisies and remove them from our life. But the good thing about all this, this is all pretty negative, right? But it's true. And sometimes we need to hear truth. All the time we need to hear truth. But sometimes we need to hear the negativity of the truth in our life. And it can be a little depressing. And it can feel like I'm stepping on toes or that God's really trying to get to us. And that's good because God wants to use us. So he's willing to change us and willing to put in the time and the effort for us to change. We have to be willing to do it too. But verses 38 and 39, I didn't read those. Psalm 78, verse 38 and 39. The Bible says, But he, talking about God, being full of compassion forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away, it did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. So God loves us. He's, he has so much mercy and so much compassion and so much forgiveness and long-suffering to when we mess up, when we're hypocritical, when we don't believe, when we forget what he has done, he extends mercy and forgiveness and love to us so that way we can change because he knows we're flesh. He knows our life. I mean, it, it's over so fast. 
And you know, the older you get, the more you see that. And I know I'm not that old, but I, as my kids get older and they start to go to college, and I mean, that's a big change in life, right? I still remember when I was in college, and I still feel like that's where I'm at, but it's not the case, right? And you grow, and you get older, and, and God shows you things, and God does things, but then you realize you're like, I'm finally starting to get some of the stuff God was trying to get me to get 20 years ago. And then you're like, but now I have let 20 less years to do something with it. And so that's why I say to young people, this, this is important for you. Don't, don't wait till you're 40 something to be like, yeah, God really means what he says. I should probably live the way he wants me. The things that are in your life today can, can inhibit you for 20 years. The things that you allow, the sin that you allow in your life as young people, it, it, can change, it can slow God's ability to use you for decades to where finally God gets through to you or you allow him to get through to you and you're willing to change those things or remove those obstacles. And now God's like, okay, God's ready. But man, think about if you did it when you were 17. Think about if you got rid of those things that could stumble you now instead of when you're 40. Think of all the things God wants. God wants that. God can use you in those ways. Don't, don't even wait till your brother Sam and your brother Dakota's age to figure it out, going to college, because they're so much older. They're like three, four years older than you. But if you could do something in those three or four years and not wait until you get to Bible college and hear a message and be like, oh, maybe I should change. But if you do it now, how much more blessed your life will be? How much more God could use you? And then adults don't look and say, well, I've already wasted decades, so I guess I'll just hold on to it. What's a few more? Get rid of it now. Wherever, the, wherever you are on your timeline, and only God knows, wherever that timeline is for you, the things that are preventing you from, from being used, for God using you and where you're limiting him, get rid of them. Take them out. Remove them. Work on, work on getting rid of those things so that he can use you starting today because you don't know how much time you've got left. You might have decades. Do you not want to be used for decades? Do you not want to influence your family for decades? Do you not want to influence these young people, this church? I mean, Pastors been talking about getting people involved. Brother Mark was up here Sunday night asking for people to teach Sunday school class. What's preventing you from volunteering for that? Is there something, some sin in your life or something that's obstructing God from using you that way? There are so many kids over here that want to hear God's word, that whose life can be changed, whose future can be different than the past they might come from, if one of us was willing to just go and teach and give a few hours of our Sunday and love on those kids. But instead, we've got something obstructing us that we've got to have, that we just, we need, and we don't believe that God could use us because who am I? And that is true, who am I? But God can use you, and that's the good thing about God. So in conclusion, what do you allow to be part of your life that limits the Holy One from being able to fully operate in a way for His glory? And if you've, you know, I talked about this morning in the prayer, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, that's a giant obstruction. That's the ultimate obstruction that prevents not just from being used, but that prevents you from entering eternity with, with the Lord. Your sin, the sin that we all have, if you try to pay for it on your own, because there's a payment that must be paid for sin, God does not accept sin. He is holy, 100%. He cannot allow sin into heaven. So that sin has to be paid for. And the only way that could be paid for is you could try to pay for it. And you are allowed to try to pay for it. The problem is it'll, it'll take you for eternity. It'll never end. You'll pay for it for the forever. It'll never end. And you'll pay for it, and the problem is, is you'll die before you finish paying for it. And when you die, since God doesn't allow sin in heaven, you have to go somewhere else. So that means your soul resides in hell, apart from God, and you will pay for your sin till the end of time. That's, you're allowed to do that. God doesn't want that to happen, but that's an option. You can pay for your sin on your own. If you're good enough and you figure it out, that's where it'll end up. Or, you can accept God's payment, the Lord's payment. Jesus Christ came, lived on this earth, sinless life, never sinned one time, and willingly died on the cross to pay for your sin. He shed his innocent blood to pay for your sin so that you don't have to. Basically, one giant, you know, paid in full for your life, for your sin, and all you have to do is accept it. You just have to accept that he did it. You have to believe that he is who he says he is, that Jesus is God, that he came and died for you, and he paid for that sin. And if you accept that payment, that giant obstruction is out of your life. And now the sin problem of keeping you for eternity is paid for. And now you can be used. Now God can use you and he can bless you because that sin payment is taken care of. So if you've not done that, 
today do that. Let's remove that sin problem. Let's accept Jesus' penalty or payment for that penalty. And then Christian, again, 100% honest with yourself. Like uncomfortably honest with yourself in a way we typically don't do because we don't like to. Be very specific. Take a very specific look at your life. The life you lived this past week. The failures you had, the things that you tried not to do but you did. The things that you don't care that you didn't do and you did them anyway or you fully embraced those things. Take an uncomfortable, honest look at your life and see what obstructions are there that limit God. Because we all have them. It's just whether or not we're willing to live with them or if we want to do something about them and allow God to, to help us. And that's the good thing with God too is he doesn't just say, lift this giant boulder out of your life on your own. He just says, recognize it's there, ask me to help you and we'll move it together. God is willing to help. God wants to be part of your life. Every single human being in here, God wants to be more, of your, more part of your life than he is today. He does. He wants, he wants more involvement, regardless of your level of involvement. And there's many different levels in here, right? Regardless of where your level is, he wants more. Not because he's selfish, because he loves you. And more of him is, more, is better for us. Remember, he does everything for his glory, which means everything he does for us is for our good. His glory, our good. That's what he wants. So more of him is better. So if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you can come down here this morning while we have invitation. We'll have men and women here that can show you from God's word exactly what must be done. It's, it's very simple. It's so simple, it, it seems too easy. But God is loving and makes it easy for us. He did the hard part. You can take care of that today. And Christian, if you've got something in your life today, having your knees knelt at an altar like this will solidify in your mind the things that are in your life that need to be changed. More than it'll do when you stand, if you stand there while we sing, more than it'll do than if you kneel at your pew. These stairs, it puts it in your brain in a different way than it does anywhere else. And God cares about you. God cares about the things that are in your life. Do him the honor of, of working on those things so that he can use you to bless your life, bless your family, bless this church, bless this city. I mean, it gets bigger and it starts with you. So stand with us if you would. Everybody stand, have your eyes closed. Heads bows, eyes closed. Brother Jacob's going to come with Miss Kath. We're going to have a few verses of invitation. And as the, as the music plays and as Brother Jacob sings, if the Lord has anything that you need to deal with, don't pretend like it's not there. Don't pretend. Don't ignore it. Don't let it stay in that shadow. Don't allow it to be there. Deal with it. Allow God to help you deal with it. Remove whatever that attitude, that sin, that thought, whatever it is, get it out so that God can use you. God can use you for his glory and for your good.